Today on the Arts Report, we'll hear about a woman's true life experience with leprechauns in Ireland. We'll also get the scoop on the closing Vancouver International Dance Festival show from Kokoro Dance. We've also got Canada's largest video expo to date, uh, UBC's last theater show, Wild Honey, uh, the Sonic Boom Festival, and lots more. So stay with us. Welcome to the March 16th, 2011 version of the Arts Report, your weekly arts and culture fix here on CITR 101.9 FM and streaming online at citr.ca. I am your host, Adam Janusz, and today we've got a lovely slew, a pretty slew, of um, artistic content for you. One of the most interesting things that uh, I want to just throw at you right now, in honor of St. Patrick's Day, which is um, tomorrow, which is uh, Thursday, the 17th of March, in honor of that, uh, we'll tell you about a new book that tells the true story of a tour of Ireland um, that is sort of disrupted by leprechauns. So um, that's coming up later in the show, and it is not to be missed. Also, we'll tell you about the Sonic Boom Festival of New Music, which is a four-day celebration of music by BC composers. Uh, There's also the drop-in, drop-out video projection show. It's the largest of its kind uh, in Canada, and uh, will feature video projection art. Imagine that. And, of course... Uh, we've got uh, UBC's final show of the season. It's called Wild Honey. It's uh, sort of written by uh, Chekhov, and it's going to be uh, big. It's going to be lavish. It's going to be huge. Um, so we'll tell you about that uh, later on. But first, uh, we have to tell you about um, Kokoro Dance. Kokoro Dance is committed to fusing Eastern and Western dance traditions, and they're very committed to using dance to explore the magic and complexity of the human body. They're known for doing the Rec Beach Buto, performing on the shores of the nude beach wearing only body paint, so it's fitting for their Vancouver International Dance Festival show that they explore the question, what is the soul, if not the body? It's one of three pieces being presented in collaboration with the Vancouver Symphony Orchestra called I Sing the Body, as well as Essence and Music of Amber. I spoke to Barbara Bourget, Artistic Director of Kokoro Dance, about these pieces. But first, since she is also the Artistic Director of the Dance Festival, I had to ask her how things are going now that, uh, that the festival is in its last leg. Well, it's great. This is our 11th season, and uh, when I do my pre-show chats, you know, um, we always introduce the artists and we thank our funders and that kind of thing. I remind everybody that it's our 11th season, and uh, it's just, it's really, for Jay and I, it's really awesome that we have managed to present this wonderful event for 11 years and that we have built an audience that comes every Mm -hmm. year and expects us to do it, so that's it's really a fantastic thing. And how did it how did it come about? Though? Was it just the two of you sitting eleven years ago going, "We need a dance festival in Vancouver"? It's kind of that's sort of oversimplified, but it's kind <laughs> of like that. We right. we noticed we noted that a lot of dance, you know, that's coming traveling, kind of at that time was not coming to Vancouver, and mm-hmm. it is fairly isolated out here on the west coast when you think about how much how much closer toronto montreal are to each other and also to europe so we felt like it would be great to 
have exposure, international, national exposure in Vancouver, and then have a kind of communication, because, you know, art is all about that, communicating. And also to find a way to showcase the local artists here so that, uh, you know, exposure is really, really important and essential to uh, getting work and to getting your work out there. And we felt that it was lacking here, so we decided we'd start a small festival. Little did we know that it was going to take off. It's so great. There's so much support now. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of the performances are free with with membership, and I wonder what what was the the sort of uh, the goal or the reasoning behind that? Well, we only have the one venue, and we wanted to do more than one show in an evening. Mm-hmm. Uh, we wanted to create a festival atmosphere where people would come and see, see both shows or, you know, bring their family for the first show and then stay for the second show. And also we wanted to give young artists an opportunity to create work. We wanted to present more than just the, you know, the six or seven people that would fit into the three weeks at the Roundhouse mm-hmm. in the Performance Center and do more than that. And we really wanted community involvement. So we've gone after, and we wanted, we're eclectic in our tastes in terms of dance. We really wanted to do more than Bhutto or more than modern dance. So we've had Arts Umbrella Youth Dance Company. We have this, we've had The Source, which is a real urban jazz company. We have hip-hop. We've had South Asian dance. We've had... Um, you know, just all sorts of different. We've had flamenco on that mm-hmm. stage. We've performed on that stage. So it's a wonderful way of communicating with our audiences and, and, and growing our audiences so that they get more and more interested in dance and then we'll, you know, go into the performance center for maybe a more risky show or something like that. Mm-hmm. So we really, really wanted to um, be inclusive of all different. We've had tap dancing. You know, we've had just so many different things. Mm-hmm. And and every night it's very gratifying. The last couple of years, every, probably every night of the free shows, it's full. Wow! There's so many people coming. Yeah, it's great. That's okay. awesome. Now, uh, as for this show, uh, Essence Music of Amber, I Sing the Body. Yes, that's quite a title. Yes. Well, <laughs> we, um, we this is our fourth collaboration with the VSO, mm-hmm. and. Um, this year, we wanted to, Scott Good, who's the uh, composer in residence, said, well, you know, I'd really like to do a real collaboration in terms of music and dance. So the first two pieces are pieces that have already been written that Jay and I have choreographed to, but the second, the last piece, I Sing, dot, 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 The Body, mm-hmm. was really inspired by our desire to collaborate in a more uh, intimate way with with the music, right. and also by the poem by Walt Whitman, which is I Sing the Body Electric. Now, how does that, now you say real collaboration, what does, what does that mean? How do you um, well, do that? Well, that means that the music isn't created first. Okay. That which So when you have, like, a, if you're choreographing, for instance, I'm choreographing to Music of Amber, that piece of music already exists. Right. But with Scott and Jay and I, there was no music, and there was no dance. And we just, we talked about it, we were inspired by this poem, we, we you know, we kind of talked about how, what the music would be, and Scott really wanted to work with this, these three uh, guys that, uh, they've created this band called Waterhole, and it's actually the first performance of this band, and he really wanted mm-hmm. to incorporate kind of a rock music aesthetic into the symphony performance, so it should be really interesting. Um, because the band is there in the, in the after intermission in the in the, the collaborative piece, 
and the orchestra is there as well. So it will be really interesting. We haven't heard all that sounds yet. But <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's going to be really exciting. I'm really excited for this week. It's been um, quite a few months, and I'm really happy to, to show this new work. A little mm. bit of pressure, but um, that's what happens when you're an artist. <laughs> but pressure is good, right, for an artist? Pre- well, yeah, thank God you get a little bit of pressure because probably <laughs> you'd never finish anything. <laughs> exactly. You know, you just keep doing it and doing it and doing it. All right. So I like I like the I like the premiere. I like that feeling of having something new to share with one's audience and to get your feedback. And you know, I just think it's a very exciting piece. The music is wonderful. My dancers are working really hard, and it's really coming together well. And that was Barbara Bourget from Kokoro Dance and from Vancouver International Dance Festival. Now, the Kokoro show that's coming up on March the 18th and uh, the 19th um, will be $35 regular, $28 for students and seniors. Now, I have to tell you that it's sold out on March 19th, but as far as I know, there are still tickets available for the March 18th. Uh, performance and you can get those tickets online at vidf.ca or you can go to our website at citr.ca and uh, if you go to that website you can find uh, information on all the features that we have on this week's show and from the website you can also subscribe to our twitter feed and get uh, the latest sort of uh, announcements about uh, interesting events that we will provide to you here at at the arts report and you'll also get a heads up on uh, what's on the next show so that's uh, great but uh, but now let's roll along to the next thing which is BYOB, Bring Your Own Beamer. Beamer, in this case, being the European word for video projector. It's a worldwide art movement where organizers have to find a space, invite artists, and tell them to bring a projector. Well, finally, BYOB is coming to Vancouver. It's called Drop In, Drop Out, and it's a video arts expo coming to W2Storium on March the 18th. Uh, Marin Cooley is a curator and director of the Vancouver Dropout Video Arts Society, and we talked about how diverse, how diverse projection art can be and about the explosion of video media art thanks to ever-advancing technology and ever-declining prices. But first, in light of the um, open call for submissions that they did and the number of participating artists, which is about 50, um, it seems like collaboration and community are a big part of this BYOB project. Well, video production um, has a long-standing tradition uh, as a collaborative art form um, because of all the equipment involved. It's usually ideal to have a couple people to help you, and then there's all the content to think of. So um, things just get a lot more interesting when you have minds working together, uh, making videos and making them better. And would you say there, there's more, like uh, that, that video projection art uh, sort of invites more uh, collaboration than other art uh, media? Well, I couldn't say more than, and mm-hmm. video production projection is uh, 
is a very unique form of representation because you can take filmmakers and video artists and invite them into this arena, which they might not otherwise um, use to present their work. Um, also, you can represent other art forms through video projection, uh, through representing paintings or performance, um, or maybe even something beautiful and simple like the natural world. So it's almost like a funnel through which um, things that people find interesting and beautiful from life uh, can transform them and put them up on the wall as art. Interesting. So, so it's almost like it it can do every kind of art and form of expression through through the video projection. Yes. Well, uh, I think um, it takes its cues from life, and uh, the artist will be exposed to ideas, um, which then are transformed onto the screen. Hmm. And also, tell me about. Um, sort of the the like is it getting better like is it getting easier because it seems to me that it's certainly getting cheaper to um to have access to you know the 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 machinery to do these projections and and you know the software to kind of edit things together um do you see this as something that's sort of um expanding that's monumental actually because um our event is aligned with a european art movement called byob and the b from that stands for beamer that's a european word for projector mm. um so the momentum is uh created by the fact that artists are now able to afford projectors in fact i was on craigslist the other day and i see now that even hd projectors are going at 350 and 400 so as far as buying a piece of equipment that's a very um manageable cost mm -hmm. for the artist um so yeah we're going to see a lot more video projection art um it has been used in a lot of other forms of representation i've seen video projection art at the opera i've seen it in live music mm -hmm. uh, venues so this is a showcase which um allows the artists to sort of be brought up to the foreground and uh to have their work like really positioned in a way that can be seen as artwork and appreciated by larger audiences that's great now tell me about uh, tell me about the show what will people see and hear well um w2 is hosting us in their thirty-one thousand square foot exhibition space mm -hmm. we have uh just over 50 visual artists um working um alone or in collaborations for uh, producing about 45 different projection wow. installations. So some of these installations are interactive. Uh, some of them are, um, let's see, tactile. Some of them are performative. Some of them are immersive, which means you actually enter into the space created um, of, by video projection and the screen that it uh, is cast onto. Great. And uh, can you give me one example? What, uh, what is your favorite <laughs> so far? Oh, I'm not going to spoil anything, <laughs> but you know, it's really interesting. You have these people's minds and they're working in this space um, like little architects, you know, and they're seeing these surfaces. And it's very interesting that you um, see that people choose spaces that uh, you wouldn't necessarily recognize. Um, as a, as a screen or as a mm -hmm. canvas. So that is very creative. Uh, it's very surprising. Um, but yeah, there are 
definitely some shocking elements to our show, mm-hmm. and uh, there are some very beautiful elements to our show. Um, and some very like far out psychedelic stuff that is traditional, and some of it that's very far out psychedelic that's cutting edge and using some of the latest equipment in video editing software. Great. Well, um, it sounds very interesting. Thanks for telling us about it. Is there anything uh, you'd wanna you'd wanna add or anything I've I've missed? Um, yeah, as far as your earlier question um, in terms of sights and sounds, we have some really great sound artists performing mm-hmm. as well as some bands who are scheduled to play. And we think that's important because um, the experience of sound and video together are sort of inextricably connected mm-hmm. and they're going to be speaking to each other. So the artists are actually going to be immersed in the artwork, surrounded by the artwork and uh, they, you know, will be affected by that, and I think the audience will be affected by that, and they're just going to be um, just overwhelmed with sound and imagery, or hopefully not, but I mean, there will be a lot to see, and, and perhaps even more than you can check out in one night, so that's why we open our doors at 5 p.m. to allow the community to come by and hang out for the night. Great. Well, thanks so much for telling us about it. Sounds great. Hey, no problem. Thank you, Adam. And that's Marin Cooley talking about Drop In, Drop Out Video Arts Expo. And that is coming March the 18th at 5 p.m. to W2Storium. And tickets are only $5. That's it. And they can be purchased at the door. So check that out. Now, we're going to take a quick uh, break. But uh, when we come back, we're going to tell you about uh, one woman's journey to Ireland um, speaking to leprechauns and what leprechauns um, have to teach uh, humanity. Uh, It's all uh, coming to you just ahead of um, St. Patrick's Day. That is to say, there's going to be a book launch on St. Patrick's Day. So so we'll, uh, we'll get the scoop on that. Stay with us. Quarter Magazine presents Disc Clover, a St. Patty's Day hip-hop party. Full of shamrocks and shenanigans, featuring CITR and the city's best spinners, Rico Uno from Glory Days and Blast Ramp. What? Girl Fight, featuring Andy Dixon and Michael Lapointe. What? Jubes, a.k.a. Jules Andre Brown. What? And DJ Brad Winter. Yeah! Thursday, March 17th at the Bitmore Cabaret. $5 before 10pm, $7 after 10pm. Make sure you bring your dancing shoes. Twenty years ago, Tannis Halliwell traveled to the west coast of Ireland in search of spirituality. She got more than she bargained for when she says she encountered a family of leprechauns. She wrote a book about her experiences called Summer with the Leprechauns and is now following that up with Pilgrimage with the Leprechauns, where she journeys back to Ireland with a tour group only to have leprechauns cause playful havoc with everyone involved. So I spoke to Tannis Halliwell about being a self-proclaimed leprechaun linguist and about how leprechauns, fairies, gnomes, and trolls and the like are a sort of race or class of quote-unquote nature spirits um, that she calls elementals. But first, here is Tannis explaining how all of this got started. It's a true story that I went to Ireland and rented a cottage sight on scene on the far west coast of Ireland called Ackle Island. And it turned out the cottage was haunted 
by leprechauns. And it wasn't just me seeing this or saying this. The whole village had stories about what had been happening at that cottage mm. and the whole lane on which the cottage uh, was located. Mm-hmm. And then, so how did you go from meeting these, uh, these leprechauns to now um, this latest uh, chapter, I guess, where you've uh, led tours? Well, um, after living with those leprechauns for the summer, um, they told me that they wanted me to write a book about it, which I did 10 years later. And that book's become quite well known, uh, and it's been printed in about eight different countries. And so people who had read the book wanted to have an experience meeting leprechauns themselves. So I took a group of 30 people to Ireland for a pilgrimage, and my leprechaun friend hijacked the pilgrimage and took us on a very topsy-turvy experience, which we will never forget. And why do you think, uh, why do you think he did that? I think he did that because humans are very attached to having things safe and predictable and their own way. Mm. And he wanted to wake people up so that they wouldn't just be on autopilot and to give up their attachments to having things like that. Mm. And um, uh, that's one of the ways that we try to become more conscious in Anyway, if you even look at various religions, they'll say you've got to wake up from your your dreaming about having things your own way. Mm-hmm. And so, is this what the book focuses on? Is sort of the the lessons of the pilgrimage, and also just just what happened on that? Yeah, mm-hmm. very much. It's, in Ireland, um, they call it the crack. Learning about the crack, and the crack really means to have a good time. Mm-hmm. But when the Irish are talking about having a good time, they love to laugh. They have black humor, and they laugh at difficulties, and they laugh when things go wrong. And so it's, it's a, I think it's a very funny book, mm-hmm. but only if you enjoy Irish black humor and are prepared to laugh at yourself. Mm. Now, I've heard, I've, I've, I uh, have Irish roommates, so I, I'm familiar at least with the term, the crack, and, uh, you know, they'll often say, what's the crack? As in, you know, how are you, what's up, what's going on? But, um, but I'm guessing you suggest that, that the crack has a much more deeper element, a much more spiritual element, um, sort of connected to, to the soul of Ireland, really. I, I think so. Um, uh, the crack is... Uh, I, I, I think of the crack as being both what we can talk about and what we can't talk about. Mm-hmm. And things that we... I, I remember when in uh, Shakespeare's Hamlet, he said to Horatio, there's more things dreamt of in heaven and hell than are dreamt of in your uh, philosophy. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a very important thing, that... We know that things exist that we can't see, and yet we want to construct our reality only on the knowns. Mm-hmm. Now, I just want to go back to, to leprechauns in, in that, do they look like what we think they look like in, in popular um, culture? Very 
much. Um, all um, all cultures have some version of little people or nature spirits. And um, leprechauns come in all sizes. My leprechaun friend is really quite tall. He, he looks like a miniature uh, W.C. Fields, and he cut, he's about four feet tall. But most leprechauns are quite a bit shorter than that. Mm-hmm. But we have um, other elementals, nature spirits, that are trolls in Norway, or you will have in, in the Maori of New Zealand call them the children of the mists, and they're more like elves. Mm-hmm. So you can find them all over the world. British talk about brownies and pixies. And what, uh, what role do they, do they play, or I, guess, or I guess what do they have to teach us? Well, humans' gift is that we are here to learn love. And we also have free will to make choices. And nature spirits, or what I choose to call them, elementals, their gift is joy and laughter and being spontaneous in the moment. And so that is what they have to teach us, is this kind of joy and laughter and childlike um, view of the world. And, and what we have to teach them is love. And that's Tannis Halliwell talking about pilgrimage with the leprechauns, which is coming on St. Patrick's Day, March the 17th, to St. James Community Square. Uh, it'll be an evening with the author, as well as Irish, Irish musician Denise Hagen and Lloyd the Leprechaun. Um, it'll be from 7.30 until 9.30 p.m., and tickets are $10, and they can be purchased, um, or the, you can find the link to it to purchase these tickets on our website at citr.ca. Another uh, event to tell you about is uh, UBC Theater's final show of the season, and it's an epic production of Wild Honey, based on a story that Russian playwright Anton Chekhov originally wrote but ultimately threw into a burning pit of fire. Director Brian Cochran, who's been on the Arts Report many a time, came to our studio to tell us what this story is about, how it was saved from Chekhov's destructiveness, and what he has learned from, his, uh, from this experience, seeing as how this is his thesis project um, for his Master of Fine Arts program. But first, here is Brian explaining how Chekhov wrote or didn't write this play. Uh, Chekhov never called the play Wild Honey. In fact, we don't know what Chekhov called the play. Uh, but we, we do know, or we speculate with uh, a good deal of assurance that he wrote the play somewhere between 1880 and 1882, which puts him uh, in medical school, which makes him between 20 and 22 years old, which is insanely young. He wrote this sprawling manuscript that, uh, if it was performed uncut, is speculated to be somewhere between five and seven hours in length. And he sent it to a theater in Moscow, offering it to an actress who he liked. And she rejected it, and it's said that this rejection turned him off the theater for years. Chekhov was always renouncing theater throughout his life <laughs> as a writer. Um, and then, uh, of course, after that, he became a doctor, and he actually started writing after that as a, like a humorist and then a story writer. And uh, mm-hmm. he didn't go back to the theater till later. Um, I like the idea that he was always rejecting theater. Was like, he was. Yeah. I hate you, and, and then he, he was comes always back to quitting it. it. And like, there's all <laughs> these stories. The first production of The Seagull was quite a big flop, actually, and mm-hmm. it wasn't until two years later that the Moscow Art Theater, uh, under Stanislavski, uh, did it. 
that it was revered and, and hailed as a success. Uh, but Chekhov considered all his plays, those major ones, to be comedies, and a lot of people considered them to be tragedies, and I think that might have had something to do with his frustration. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, we'll, we'll come back to that, that comedy sure. tragedy thing. But um, the, the show itself, Wild Honey, is about a man who is cursed with being too attractive to women, which is a lot like my life. Yeah, um, mine too. I know, it's, it's tough. Easy to say that when we're on the radio, right? <laughs> yeah, we're hiding behind the radio. Yeah, so the main character, his name is Platonov, and uh, he's, he was this big intellectual and he had all this promise and now he's in his late 20s and it hasn't really panned out he's the village schoolmaster wow, which is, this is not, exactly like my life tell me about it um he's he's the village schoolmaster it's not a very good job he's gotten married he's had a baby and uh he sort of pa- he passes the time they're all very bored in this village and uh he passes the time by moralizing away at people, pointing out their faults, uh, humiliating them in front of others, which people find alternately entertaining and horrifying. Um, And he also uh, spends his time seducing women and uh, probably has a lot to do with the lack of selection of the other men around. But uh, for various reasons, the women find him irresistible and they believe everything he says. So he tries to do that thing where... You know, it's like safe flirting, or like, if only we could be together, I would do this, this, and that. But they always end up believing him and coming <laughs> after him. Um, so in the play, he's they, they have this party, and um, one of the hosts of the party has gotten married, and it's actually his old girlfriend mm. who this guy's gotten married to. So then that relationship... Uh, sparks up again, and then mm. there's a couple of other women who are after him as well. Okay, and this is um, th- this sounds pretty comedic, but it it has elements of comedy and melodrama. And I wonder how do you, as a director, kind of skate that fine line and not make <laughs> it too silly, but also uh, don't kill all the humor. So Wild Honey, uh, it should be pointed out, is Michael Frayn, uh, author of Noises Off and Copenhagen, and a bunch of other uh, plays and novels. It's his version of Chekhov's play. So Michael Frayn cut character. Uh, cut plot lines, rearranged the plot, got the action started with what he called reasonable dispatch, um, and took the five to seven hour play and turned it into a two and two and a half hour play. Mm. Um, so he took a lot of the melodrama out okay. for Wild Honey. So it has those elements of melodrama. Um, it has the elements of farce and it has a lot of elements of tragedy. And I've what we've been doing and what I find the best way to do a comedy is just play it seriously. Yeah. I mean, they're taking it very seriously. It's mm-hmm. very serious to them. And oftentimes what we, the audience in Wild Honey, or the audience of Wild Honey, are going to find funny is someone else's pain. <laughs> <laughs> we love pain as an audience, don't it's, we? It's the, what is it, pathos or whatever? Yeah. Schadenfreude? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, there's, there something, there's something about it. And I mean, that's, that's the thing about farces is people take themselves so seriously mm-hmm. and then they get caught in these situations... Um, that point up the absurdity or the hilariousness of that. Just like my life. There you go. <laughs> now, this is your um, MFA thesis as a graduate student. Yes, it is. And it, did you say it's a two and a half hour long? Well, including the intermission, opus? it's two and a half hours. Yeah, so it's yeah. two hours, 15, with a 15 that, minute a, intermission in the middle. That's a big project. It's a very big project. 14 actors, um, four designers, five stage managers, and a ton of running crew. Mm-hmm. Not to mention people who built the set, painted the set. Um, did the promotion, did the supervising. It's been a, just a massive, massive undertaking, yeah. bigger than anything I've ever done, yeah. which is what I wanted to do with the thesis project. I mean, exactly. That's part it of seems why. fitting that way. Yeah, well, like for a young artist like me, I'm only 27, so I was 25 when I got here for this program. Um, I was only doing independent theater, so we're talking like Black Box, cast of 
four or five or less, couple tables, couple chairs. Yeah. Um, rehearsing so be, in people's basements. Re- rehearsing wherever you can. Yeah, I mean, yeah. just doing it on the cheap. And there's a lot to be made of that. And in a lot of ways, that's my favorite kind of theater. But coming to UBC's department, knowing that I would have the opportunity to be in a big space like the Freddie Wood or the TELUS. This one's in the Freddie Wood. Uh, it seats 400. It has a fly gallery. It has a revolve. I mean, you have to take advantage of a big space like that when you can. Because mm-hmm. I could never afford to do this play independently. Cool. Yeah. And dare I ask, with with almost no time left, um, what have you learned? Lots. (laughs) Uh, I've learned a lot about uh, rehearsal methods, rehearsal approaches, uh, working with actors, um, working with designers, uh, the type of language you need to use, um, the real benefit of getting everyone... Not not foul language. Not foul, never. Um, just theater, don't ask, don't ask any of my actors, and then you'll know that yeah. I never use foul language when I'm directing. Um, it's it's about communication. When you're the director, you're like the you're like the obstetrician. Um, you're present at the birth of the play for clinical reasons, <laughs> and so ideally, your job would be to do nothing at all. But if if something does go wrong, you have to be ready and able to fix it quickly and surgically and precisely um so i've learned more and more that the bigger the play the bigger the preparation and i've never been more prepared entering into a rehearsal process than i was for this and i wish i had been way more prepared yeah as always yeah that's a cool analogy thanks thanks for giving us that no worries and that's brian cochran telling us about wild honey coming to the frederick wood theater here at ubc on march the 16th uh, until the 26th so it is running uh, now. Tickets are $22, or sorry, they range from $10 to $22, and they can be purchased online from the Theatre UBC website, which you can get a link to by going to our website, citr.ca, and you can get the scoop on all of the events that we are covering on today's show. So check out the website for that. Also on our website, you can subscribe to our podcast. So if you can't hear us uh, Wednesdays at 5, you can listen to us anytime you like because uh, through iTunes, for example, every episode will just uh, automatically fall into place as soon as it is available, which is usually about an hour after uh, the show airs here. The show is done at 6, so the podcast goes up around 7 or 8 and then is available forever. All right, well, we are going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to tell you about the Sonic Boom Festival of New Music, which is now in its 11th year and promises to bring four days of um, interesting events of all kinds, which I'll tell you about. And, um, and we'll tell you about an incredible investment in the arts. $250,000 has been awarded to City Opera Vancouver, and we'll tell you about that. So stay with us. Are you interested in radio, but not quite sure how to get involved? CITR is the place for you. We are a volunteer-driven campus and community radio station with a variety of volunteer opportunities. Want to become an on-air programmer? Learn about promotions? Maybe become a news or arts reporter? Come learn about all the ways you can become involved at CITR. Volunteer orientations are held on the first Monday of every month at 6.30 p.m. If the first Monday falls on a statutory holiday, the orientation moves to the second Monday. Visit citr.ca for more information. Okay, and we're back on the Arts Report. 
here on CITR 101.9 FM and streaming online at CITR.ca. I was saying before the break that uh, you can subscribe to our podcast on uh, the website, uh, CITR.ca. Um, I was on iTunes uh, just the other day poking around to see that, uh, you know, that our podcasts are, are there as they should be. And I came across one of, I came across some censorship yeah, um, we did a, a feature a few weeks ago on a show uh, called The Vagina Monologues. And in the introduction to the show, I sort of brought up how the word vagina is not as sort of culturally uh, safe or accepted as uh, words for the male anatomy, which uh, seem to be more acceptable and people are more comfortable saying. But when it comes to vagina, there seems to be a, some weird stigma about using that word. Well, apparently iTunes is no exception because they actually bleeped out the word vagina. Like, what is that about? What what sense does that make? It's not a swear word, is it? Um, yeah, but anyway, that was just an excuse for me to plug our podcast, which is available on iTunes now. But seriously, that is, that is, that is a bit weird, I think. Uh, there's, nothing, there's nothing wrong with vaginas, iTunes, okay? Don't be afraid. Okay, um, rolling right along. The Sonic Boom Festival of New Music is coming to Western Front and focuses on experimental contemporary music. It's unique in that it not only features performances but has artists in residence, lectures, free masterclasses, and exhibitions. Benton Roark is the president of the Vancouver, oh, sorry, Vancouver Pro Musica Society, which is putting on this intriguing festival now in its 11th year, and he tells us how he's really excited to have renowned Canadian composer R. Murray Schaefer as the composer in residence. But first, I asked him if a festival of new music will include the likes of Rihanna. <laughs> uh, how did you guess? <laughs> I mean, I, I think a lot of pop folks, you know, probably would take issue to the fact that we all we, we claim the title new music <laughs> but uh if, if they only knew we existed they would that's that is exist. so uh no new music uh generally refers to contemporary art music uh music that um might take a little bit more concentration to 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 understand than uh rihanna no discredit <laughs> to her yeah no disrespect to her <laughs> and what kind of how would you uh, you threw out the term contemporary art music Mm-hmm. Is that the official, official term? Uh, you know, you'll probably get a different answer for every person that you ask. Um, but uh, I mean, Sonic Boom has certainly featured um, a. I think the, the great thing about um, new music is that uh, in this day and age, it can incorporate uh, really anything. Mm-hmm. And um, I would say art music only in that uh, maybe the the focus is not pure entertainment, but um, maybe includes more of, a, of an element of uh, intellectual reflection or, or um, uh, oftentimes education, but again, that's a problematic term as well. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's in flux right now. I'm, I'm hesitant to give a, a specific definition of it, but uh, oftentimes we're talking about chamber music, we're talking about electroacoustic music. Um, we're talking about uh, contemporary opera um, and hybrids of all these forms. Sounds good. And what's new this year in this year's festival? Uh, in this year's Sonic Boom Festival, um, it's 
the format um, is the same in that it's four nights mm-hmm. of concerts, uh, Thursday through Sunday night. Uh, the main thing that's different this year is we have in attendance um, Canada's prob- uh, most well-known composer, as far as I uh, know, um, which is uh, who is R. Murray Schaefer. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's, we're, we're really, really happy to have him come and, and lend his uh, insights. Uh, he'll be leading a uh, master class, and he'll be doing some workshops um, at uh, UBC and also a, a talk in conjunction with the CMC and with, and with SFU. Uh, I know that uh, he, the week before, he's, he's also going to be featured on a Music on Main concert. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a big sort of two-week uh, festival of, of celebration mm-hmm. for, for this composer. And he's the composer in residence, and you also have um, Standing Wave as the ensemble in residence. And I wonder what's, what is the, the goal or the purpose of, of having... Um, Residencies. Um, well, uh, residencies are great. Um, I would say the primary goal is uh, to is mostly uh, education. For example, um, the ensemble of residents will conduct a uh, reading of many of the works that are programmed for the festival two months ahead of time. Uh, this is so composers can hear the work ahead of time. They can make last minute changes. Um, and it's a public presentation as well, so it's sort of an ensemble that's affiliated with uh, the fest, not just the festival, but the whole process of uh, creating the festival. Yeah. The composer in residence, uh, like I said, he leads master classes. Uh, we usually program a, a larger work of the composer in residence. Uh, this year, it's going to be uh, Murray Schaefer's String Quartet Number no. Eleven and uh, the Lafayette. Quartet from Victoria will be performing that. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I guess residency is um, it's an affiliation that extends beyond, uh, you know, just the concert evenings. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. beyond just the sort of one-way street of, of, of seeing a concert. Right, right, right exactly. Uh-huh. And tell us about the featured ensemble, which is New BC. Um, well, New BC is um, going to be performing... Uh, on Saturday night, and uh, they'll be doing some electroacoustic works that combine um, uh, voice and uh, flute, cello, piano, uh, as well as interactive electronics in some cases, and I think uh, pre-recorded ele- um, electronic sounds in other cases. So uh, at Sonic Boom, we try, um, as of a couple of years ago, to incorporate a, a strong um, technological presence mm-hmm. and um, so electroacoustic music is one way to do that we also have this year um, which is again uh, the third year in a row that we've done this um, the a, a lecturer uh, deliver uh, a talk on some aspect of music technology mm-hmm. um, and this year we have um, one of the professors at uh, the University of Victoria, Dr. Andrew uh, Schloss, who's going to be giving a talk on uh, robotic interaction in musical performance on Saturday <laughs> afternoon at three. Cool. So that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just picturing like a Terminator with a with an instrument. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with the with the violin or maybe <laughs> yeah, a piccolo, exactly. you know, something like that. Right. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, um, thanks so much for for telling us about the festival. Is there anything you'd wanna you'd wanna add or throw in? 
uh, I would like to mention just some other things that are going on that week, if Please. you have two seconds. Well, on the Tuesday proceeding, so we're talking about March 22nd, uh, there's going to be a talk at SFU Woodward's downtown that uh, I briefly mentioned, a score reading club in conjunction with um, the CMC and SFU. And uh, that's a great chance for people to engage with um, with Murray Schaefer and his music. And, and otherwise, on Saturday morning, there's going to be a master class so I, I think that there's plenty, uh, uh, for example, at UBC on Friday, there's going to be a performance of Murray Schaefer's work um, uh, at, that uh, involves the contemporary players up at, up at the university. And Vancouver for Music has had a big hand in organizing all of these events. So um, please do come out and, and show your support and, um, and uh, you know, revel in the, the genius of this great, great artist. And that's Benton Roark from Vancouver Pro Musica Society telling us about Sonic Boom Festival of New Music, which is going to be taking place at Western Front from March 24th until the 27th. And you should get tickets soon, uh, Benton told me after our interview, because last year they were at capacity and will very likely sell out this year. So it is advised that you get tickets sooner rather than later. Uh, the prices are $25 per evening concert, that's regular price, and $15 for student senior uh, artist. Ah, if you're an artist, you get a discount. Look at that. You can also get a festival pass for all four concerts for $60. And that's at the door. Uh, Okay, you can get more information on this at their website, vancouverpromusica.ca slash sonicboom. Or you can just go to our website, citr.ca, and find the appropriate links. Now, uh, Benton is also in a band called uh, Rollaway. uh, And their latest album is called... Now, get this. The return of the lonesome coyote patchwork pulpit and sundry other tales from the rainbow's end. Wow. How's that for an album title? Um, They've got some great reviews uh, for this album, including one from Disc Order. And you can find out more information about the band at rollawayband.com. Yeah. So check them out online. Now... Next In next week's show, we'll give you another story on the Sonic Boom Festival. And in that one, we will talk to uh, Professor Andrew Schloss at uh, UVic. And he's going to tell us about robotics in music and how, uh, and, and how he's experimenting with the use of robots to play instruments. What does that mean? You'll have to tune in next week to find out. Um, Also next week, we'll tell you about 1984, George Orwell's epic uh, story of Big Brother um, is coming to the Kulch on March the 24th, and we'll be running until April 3rd, uh, so we'll get uh, the scoop on that show. And uh, and much, much more. So definitely uh, tune in uh, next week, or if you can't, uh, subscribe to our podcast, and, and that way you'll make sure you won't miss it. Now then, uh, we have one more. No, we're going to take a break. We're going to take a short little break, and when we come back, we'll tell you about a $250,000 uh, grant to City Opera Vancouver. We're going to find out uh, why they got all this money and uh, what they intend to do with it. Perhaps a trip to Mexico. Or not. This just in. Tuesday nights at 11 o'clock. CITR 101.9 FM presents Cabaradio. 
join host Teddy Smooth as he explores the chimerical, the hysterical, the phantasmagorical world of burlesque and cabaret. Tuesday nights at 11 o'clock, CITR 101.9 FM brings you Radio. Okay, and we're back on the Arts Report here on CITR 101.9 FM. On February 21st, City Opera Vancouver announced that it is receiving a gigantic $250,000 grant to create a new chamber opera based on the experiences of a U.S. Marine in the Iraq War. It's the largest such award in Canadian history, and I spoke to Dr. Charles Barber, the artistic director of City Opera Vancouver, about this historic donation in light of the current climate of deep cuts to the arts in B.C. But first, I asked him how a Vancouver Chamber Opera Company was chosen to tell the story of a U.S. soldier. It's actually a simpler story than you might imagine. Mm -hmm. Uh, Almost exactly one year ago, uh, we were invited by Sam Sullivan, the former mayor of Vancouver, to make a presentation at one of his famous salons that he holds all the time, Mm -hmm. all over the place, about civic issues. Sam knew about our work uh, as the lead company in the effort to restore the Pantages Theatre in right. the downtown east side. He called and said, would you please come and talk about the social and musical agenda of City Opera? Mm-hmm. And by the way, Charlie Annenberg will be in the audience. I think you might hit it off. Mm-hmm. So we gave a presentation. Sam introduced us to Charlie, who was up from Los Angeles for the purpose. Uh, and the short form is, uh, yes, we certainly hit it off. Right. And Charlie, at that time, had already met and gotten to know and respect a U.S. Marine Corps sergeant by the name of Christian Ellis, Mm -hmm. who had been at the Battle of Fallujah in 2004 and come back from that with a great deal of remorse and with uh, PTSD, for which he has been treated and about which he's very open, Mm -hmm. and with a story. And Charlie had read the story, a kind of scenario, about a young American soldier and a young Iraqi whose lives intersect disastrously, Mm. followed by fear and regret beyond speaking, and ultimately forgiveness. So all things that uh, are, are good ingredients for an opera wonderful for an opera. (laughs) And when Charlie heard what we do as a company, he had in the back of his mind Christian's story. Hmm. And in due course, Charlie sent us that story, and thereafter Christian himself, they flew him up from San Diego in uh, September, and asked us to consider whether or not we could work with this man Mm -hmm. telling that story through our medium, which of course is opera. Specifically, Adam, I should say, chamber opera. We do the small forms. Mm -hmm. We don't do grand opera. We do the smaller forms, uh, generally referred to as chamber opera. And how will you do that? How will you take this very modern story, uh, you know, from a person that is alive, and how will you transform it onto an operatic stage? It's already begun, Mm -hmm. and the way we've done it is in three parts. We've hired Heather Raffo, a librettist. I decided early on that we needed an American librettist and a Canadian composer to make this one work. Really? Why is that? Why that particular equation? The American voice 
I think is essential, given the thematic material at hand, the American war in Iraq, mm-hmm. American warriors, and the sense that an American eloquence would bring to telling Christian's story through the libretto. Okay. But also, though, a Canadian composer, because we, as a company, City Opera as its agenda, uh, is deeply committed to finding a place for Canadian music in world music. Right. And we found in Tobin Stokes, a composer based in Victoria and Vancouver, an artist of tremendous versatility who's already written three operas and a great deal more work that's really quite quite terrific. So Tobin and Heather, as it turned out, were easy calls, and Heather in another regard. Heather's mother is American. Her father is Iraqi. Wow. She brings to the table already an awareness of the competing imperatives of those two cultures because she grew up with it. And Heather is the author of a very successful play. It won the Lucille Lortel Award on Broadway, uh, wonderfully reviewed by the New York Times, the New Yorker, CBS, and so on, Mm -hmm. called Nine Parts of Desire. And it was based on interviews that she did in Baghdad with a dozen Iraqi women who survived. Hmm. And we saw this play. It was given at Presentation House in North Van. And we were blown away by the independence of voice, but the interdependence mm-hmm. of the storytelling that Heather Raffo brought to it. And as soon as we discovered her, it was really clear to us that we had found someone who already understands how to tell such a story with respect and compassion for both sides. Mm-hmm. So the first is putting the team together, and we have Heather and we have Tobin, and they are extraordinary. Hmm. Excellent. The second is workshopping, mm-hmm. and we will be doing in the next year and a half a set of four workshops, initially involving actors only speaking the text, and thereafter singers bringing the text to life, so that a year and a half from now, by the end of June of 2012, uh, we will have taken through workshop uh, a creation which will be very like, very like, what a world premiere will look like. You you try to realize it, not merely theoretically on the page or at the keyboard, but you actually do it in a theater, and you work it, and you work it, and you work it. It's the way that Broadway shows have been done for 50 and 60 and 70 years now. Okay. And it's the way that opera increasingly is done. Excellent. Now, um, we've quickly run out of time, but I do want to ask you... No, not at all. But um, I I have to ask you uh, sort of the outside perspective or, or, you know, taking a step back and seeing uh, the entire forest as well as the 250,000 trees. Um, What does this mean for um, BC's arts funding situation? You know, how does entering into that context... um, What's your perspective on it? For City Opera, we have, as a matter of course, not bothered to apply for funding from the province. At the moment, it's just a waste of time. You have to go through so many hoops for so little reward, and even then, at the end of the day, they might well take it away from you. That We just can't be bothered. Until Victoria gets serious about the arts, which they are not, they're just fooling around, Mm -hmm. it seems really, for us at least, I don't speak for any other group, I don't pretend to speak for any other person, but for us, it's just a waste of time because they're not serious about their work. 
they give and they take away. They give and they take away. They rewrite and they redefine and they re-argue and they reposition. These endless organizations, so-called, and reorganizations are just a waste of time and spirit and energy. The the quarter million that Annenberg has given us is the largest opera commission in Canadian history. And it tells you something, perhaps, that it took a major American foundation to recognize the talent we have here in Vancouver. Well, we look forward to uh, seeing how this develops, and uh, and we're glad at least uh, Los Angeles is uh, is, is supportive. <laughs> thanks, <laughs> thanks so much for uh, for taking some time to tell us about this. I thank you so much for asking. And that's Dr. Charles Barber speaking on behalf of the City Opera Vancouver. And uh, as you heard, that will be coming, oh, not for a year, year and a half before the, that opera is done. So probably um, probably not a lot of time for a trip to Mexico with all the work that they will be doing. But uh, who knows, maybe they'll have a bit of cash left over for, for a trip. Who are we kidding? They won't have anything left. <laughs> It'll all be gone. Um, Next week, join us when we will cover 1984, uh, some more on the Sonic Boom Festival, including robots playing music, and um, and we'll we'll talk about a play coming to Pacific Theater called Jesus Hopped on the A Train, um, and that will be interesting. Now, before uh, we go, I also want to tell you about Fuse. Fuse is a thing that the Vancouver Art Gallery does where they um, sort of make a party out of the gallery. So there's, uh, you know, exhibitions coming and going, and then they pick one night where they bring in um, theater and dance and music and, and, uh, and basically turn a night at the art gallery into uh, a really, really interesting um, event of a different kind. So they're doing this again, and this one is called Dark City. It's, um, what can I tell you about it here? Taking its cue from current exhibitions We Vancouver and Unreal, Fuse Dark City is a special evening of music, dance, and art that investigates the darker side of our city of glass. Celebrate Vancouver with this night of performances and installations that bring together theater, artists, dancers, and a hip-hop group to reveal the truly offbeat. And featured in this will be the 605 Collective and The Response, which are sort of team of, uh, of dance companies, which I saw at The Culture a few months ago. They did the, this piece called Hero Heroine, which, is, uh, which really blew my mind and I enjoyed immensely. In fact, if you go to responsedance.blogspot.com, you can actually watch a piece, a piece of uh, Hero Heroine, and um, it's really interesting, so I encourage you to check that out. It's responsedance dot blogspot.com so they'll be at fuse and they will be doing some pieces uh, specifically designed shall we say uh, around the exhibitions at the art gallery and november theater will be resurrecting uh, their show uh, their musical hardcore logo live which they did at the push festival and it was a huge huge success and so they'll be bringing that to fuse and then beat nation will throw down hip-hop and create digital graffiti art up on the fourth floor balcony. So as you can hear... Oh, oh, and <laughs> one more thing. There's also going to be Doomsday Prophecies. If you want your own Doomsday Prophecy, um, those will be available by artists and writers. Um, so that'll be very cool. So uh, if you can, uh, check that out. That's on Friday night, March 18th. It begins at 8 p.m. and runs until 1 p.m., and admission is 1950 for adults and for gallery members it is 
free. So definitely check it out. All right. Well, I believe that's all we have for you uh, this week. Uh, join us next week for another arts report. This show was uh, produced by Anna Garza. And um, also thanks to uh, Jeannie. And uh, that's, that's all there is to say other than uh, you're listening to CITR 101.9 FM. And coming up next is uh, either Real to Real or Discord Radio. I don't know which, but uh, one of those. So enjoy it. Bye-bye.